And now, Father, as we open our Bibles and, and attend to your word, may it also be part of our worship. We do want to worship the newborn king this Christmas season, Father. And yet the world presses us into its mold, and we are highly bothered and distracted by so much activity around us. And so may these Sunday morning hours be so valuable to us as we quiet our hearts in your presence, as we humble our hearts in your presence, as we renew our hearts through your word. Thank you for the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the spirit of humility with which he took on flesh for our cause that you remembered us and out of your love and your kindness you provided a savior, the Lord Jesus. It's in his name alone that we pray. Amen. Well, sometimes when we are on a trip that has some distance to it, Jonathan will speak up from the back seat of the car and say, let's play going on vacation. Do you know that game? It's an alphabet game, and the way it works is you each take a turn. Sometimes we start with the youngest, and sometimes we start with the oldest. And you say, I'm going on vacation, and A, I'm going to take, and you say something that starts with an A, like, I'm going to take an apple. And then the next person has to say, I'm going on vacation and I'm going to take, and they have to repeat what's been said before them. A, an apple. A B, um, you know, whatever, a Butterfingers. You know, whatever they can think of that they're going to take on vacation. As I was thinking of our introduction this morning, I had that game in my mind. And I put together very quickly, uh, jotted down what represents Christmas to so many of us in, an, in an, a letters of the alphabet form. Let me share it with you. A, artificial trees. B, bells are ringing. C, children singing. D, dancer and prancer. E, one of my favorites, Ebenezer Scrooge. F. That stands for front teeth. G is for grandma and the unfortunate encounter with a reindeer. H is happy holiday. I is icicles. J is Jack Frost nipping at my nose. K is kissing under the mistletoe. And why do you put that away after Christmas? L is dedicated to Jeff Steplowski. It's lights that won't work. M is... Merry Christmas, ho, ho, ho. N is naughty or nice. O is outlet malls. P is pine tree. Q is quiet as a mouse. R is reindeer on the rooftop. S is snow. T, that's for tools that I hope I get. But U is for underwear that I expect I'll probably get. V is for vacation from school. W, of course, is for Walmart. X, X is for extra large red suit. Y is for Yuletide log, whatever that is. And Z is for Zowie. How did Christmas ever get so messed up? <laughs> I'll take that as an amen. 
You know, I don't know how you connect the dots from a loving God reaching down to a sinful people by sacrificing his own son, giving of his own son out of, a, out of his love and kindness. Would you please connect the dots from Bethlehem to reindeer on the rooftop? I'm having a problem here. I thought that as we begin our series of messages pointed towards the incarnation of our Lord Jesus and benefit once again this Christmas season from uh, the Christmas story, so old but always new, that it would be good for us early in December to prepare our hearts to challenge ourselves. You might even use the word that we would claw and fight to maintain in our homes the centrality of Christ and the true meaning of Christmas. Don't you feel the world pressing you into its mold? I invite you this morning, instead of turning to Genesis, as I've done so often for the last couple years, to turn to Luke's gospel. And we're going to turn to a relatively familiar story that's not really a Christmas story, but in a way it is. It's Luke chapter 10, Luke chapter 10, verses 38 to 42. Luke chapter 10, verses 38 to 42. Many of you will, will recall this story, and we've dealt with it a time or two through the years from the pulpit. It's a timely reminder, I think, this Christmas season to pause. One of the things that we say that Christmas is about is, is welcoming Jesus to our home. Christmas is about welcoming Jesus to our hearts. Christmas is about celebrating Jesus. Well, this is a story about Jesus coming to a home. And so for this home, it was Christmas, whether it was December or not. You'll know some of the characters in the story. They are quite familiar. It's Luke's Gospel, chapter 10, beginning with verse 38. It's a short text. Let me read the story to you. Right before this, you'll know the story as well. It's the story of the Good Samaritan. Remember the man who was beaten and robbed by thieves on his way to Jerusalem and how the teachers of the law passed him by, but then the Samaritan, the one who was supposed to have racial, racial animosity, stopped and took care of him and gave of himself for him. That's the story that comes. Jesus is traveling with his disciples. They move on and they're moving to Bethany Verse 38 of Luke 10 says, As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. Isn't that an interesting story? I told you you'd recognize some of the names. Perhaps you're more familiar with Mary and Martha or in this story, Martha and Mary. It was in this account says it's Martha's home to which Jesus comes. This is the, these are the friends of Jesus who have the brother named Lazarus. And do you remember in John chapter 11, the great story where Lazarus is sick? And we know that after this, or during this time, 
Jesus becomes very good friends with this family, and this becomes a home that he frequents on more than one occasion for rest and restoration and refreshment. This is perhaps the first time, maybe, we don't know, but it's earlier in his ministry. But later in John chapter 11, towards the end of his three-year earthly ministry, Jesus is going to receive word from Martha and Mary. And the word is going to be, do you remember? Lord, the one you love is sick. So we know that Jesus became very close to this family. He became very close to the brother of Mary and Martha, who's not mentioned in this account. Do you recall that in that great story in John 11, Jesus waits or lingers more than three more days before he finally goes? And that's where he tells his disciples, it's okay, Lazarus is asleep. Well, Lord, if he's asleep, then he'll get well. And Jesus meant, no, he's passed away. He's deceased now. And when Jesus arrives... Martha is the one who comes running to him. Mary is there. Lord, if you had been here, our brother would have lived. But what a great moment Jesus had in store for this special family. Roll the stone away. Lord, the King James says, he's been dead three days. He stinketh. Roll the stone away. Lazarus, come forth. Wow. Wouldn't you have loved to have been there? What a moment. Well, it hasn't happened yet, and they don't even know it's going to happen. And here Jesus is traveling with his disciples. And I think one of the things going into the story that you need to understand, because we can tend to be a little hard on Martha in this story, but I suspect that Jesus had most or all of his 12 disciples traveling with him. And so when Jesus comes to Bethany, receives the invitation to the home, I think that it probably, we can't prove it, but it no doubt included his disciples that were with him because right before this and right after him, the disciples are with him. And it would appear with the stress under which Martha finds herself in the kitchen that she had more than just one man, one guest to prepare for. The story breaks itself down pretty readily into four parts. It's not a difficult story to grasp. The first part of the story that we see as we break it down is we see that, first of all, there's a special guest or a welcome guest. There's a special guest. That's great in verse 38, isn't it? Look at it. And Jesus and his disciples were on their way. So we know they were traveling with him. He came to a village where a woman named Martha did what? She, don't you like that next word? She opened her home to him. He had no home. He was a homeless man. He needed refreshment and rest. How great it was for him on these occasions to have those who loved him. Jesus, come to our house. What a great privilege, wouldn't it be, to have entertained the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords right in your living room. Wow. And we think like that, but then remember, where does he live? Where's his living room right now? Right here in my, in my heart. What a privilege. Well, there's a special guest. Jesus is coming. That no doubt created a little bit of a buzz. His earthly ministry was growing at this time. He was known for his healing ministry and so forth. And wherever he went, he created a stir. The second part we see in the story and the second character is the spellbound woman, the spellbound friend. We see that Jesus arrives at the home. It is called Martha's home, whether she's the oldest of the siblings, why Mary and Lazarus lived with her in her home, we don't know. But there they were, these siblings living under one roof and it's called Martha's home 
She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he had he said. What a great opportunity for Mary. Here's Mary. Jesus is here. She had no problem. The master is here. She plops down and she's all attentive to Jesus. Seems so right, doesn't it? You wouldn't invite someone, especially a special guest, into your home and say, you just go sit off in the side there and we're going to get ready for you. And they just let him sit. Somebody's got to go talk to him, right? And yet somebody needs to prepare. And the next part of the story that we have, number three, is we have the stressed out hostess, don't we? We have the stressed out hostess. So we have this special guest. We have the spellbound listener. We have the stressed out hostess, though. Look what happens. She had a sister called Mary, verse 39, who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said, spellbound at his word. We don't have recorded for us his teaching right there. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. The NIV uses the word distracted by all the preparations. The King James uses a good word. We don't use it very often. It says, Cumbered about much serving. Cumbered about much serving. Weighed down. The Greek word has the inference of a dragging around. She was cumbered, distressed, trying to pull it all together, dragging and pulling things together. You've been there, haven't you? You've got a special guest in your home. You want things to be presentable. You feel like you need to present these things. And here they are. And Martha, you know, it's possible too that Martha, the older sister, has had a life of this. You with younger sisters, you know, don't you? You know, you older sisters, that you always did more work than the younger sister. You can remember your younger sister sitting right there in the kitchen and your mom calls you from way in the back where you're folding clothes and doing all those chores. Your sister's sitting there reading Nancy Drew or something. And, and your mom calls you to go do something else. And when you walk by, what do you say? Mom, Mary's not doing anything. I was working. I don't know if it's just an, a big sister mentality. I think it's certainly... A distinct personality that we're dealing with, isn't it? You know how it is, don't you? Some of you are wired in such a way like Martha that if there's work to be done, you just can't sit down and talk. Other people in their personality, people are what it's all about and relating why they can sit down and let the world fall down around them as long as they get to visit and talk and connect. And Mary's enthralled and spellbound, but Martha, you know, can't you kind of hear the mashed potatoes, and she's whooping them up, and all of a sudden the banging's getting a little louder. And when she takes that wooden spoon and hits it on the side, they boy, she's nailing it, you know, bam, bam. And every time she turns to rinse her hands off over here, she gets a glimpse out of the corner of her eye of Mary at Jesus' feet. And you can just feel it rising up in her, can't you? I suspect that Jesus is picking up on the sounds in the kitchen. Maybe there's even a little huffing and puffing going on. Because finally, and this point in the story leads me to believe that this was not a brand new friendship at this time. 
but that they had an acquaintance at some level because it seems like the next exchange has some familiarity to it. It's not the kind of thing that you would say to a first-time important guest in your home. It would be with somebody that you felt comfortable because finally Martha has had it. She's had it. There's Jesus. There's all his disciples sitting around. And there's Mary right in the middle of them listening. And so Martha sticks her head out and she says she was distracted by her preparations that had to be made. In her mind anyway, it had to be done. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. I just think that's funny. Go up to Jesus. Lord, just get her in the kitchen. Mary, come on. Can you hear Jesus? I don't think that he yells at her, but the fourth part of our story is a scolding from Jesus. I think it's a loving scold. Martha, Martha. I don't think it's Martha, Martha. I think it's Martha, Martha. It is confrontive. He repeats her name to get her attention. Confrontive and corrective, but I would assume in the manner of our Lord Jesus in dealing with those he loved, very tender. Martha. Martha, it's easy to spend your life in the kitchen, Martha. Martha, you need to relax. You're too stressed out. Martha, you need to let go of the lesser things because I'm not going to be here forever. And I'm in your home right now. And you're paying more attention to whether or not the gravy is thickening than you are the master. Martha, Mary has chosen what is better. Mary has chosen to listen to my word. Mary has chosen to fellowship with me. You almost get the idea that Jesus knows that Martha and her personality and her doing, she's going a little bit overboard. Do you know people like that? I just want it to be a certain way. Do you know that hot dogs and chips would have been good enough? It's a bunch of grungy traveling old men. They don't care. No, no, no. I really wanted to use the good china this time. It's Jesus after all. And yet the opportunity to really connect with Jesus is given up for mashed potatoes and gravy. Isn't there something tragic about that? Well, what do we learn from a story like this? There's the parts of the story. First of all, let me suggest that there are some things that the story is not teaching. Some things that the story is not teaching. I don't think we should get from this, and we're, we're applying this story to the Christmas context. Jesus is coming to our home for Christmas. We invite Jesus to our hearts for Christmas. We talk like that and sing like that, don't we? First of all, I don't think that this story is teaching that Jesus did not appreciate Martha's work. I don't think that Jesus is not appreciating Martha's work. 
It's a statement of priority. It's a statement of choices. It's not to minimize the importance of work around the house. We need to take care of our home. It's not wrong to put a nice meal together. But her motives... Her thinking has somehow become skewed. She has somehow distorted what was necessary. Jesus said, Mary is doing what is necessary and you are bothered about many things. You are distressed. You are anxious. It's not that he's minimizing her work ethic. He's concerned about her proper attitude and her approach. Why are you doing this? What is your motive? You're missing the point of this occasion. Second thing I don't think this story is teaching is that it's wrong to care about your home or food when entertaining guests. I don't think this story is teaching us that we shouldn't care about the condition of our home or the kind of meal we serve. We learned about hospitality from Abraham in Genesis, didn't we? And there is an appropriateness of esteeming others higher than ourselves and wanting to honor our guests with the softest chair, with the, with the choice cuts of the pork loin or whatever. That's not what it's teaching. It's, it's teaching about priorities, isn't it? Number three, all of these are kind of related. In the context of Christmas, for, as we think about it, I don't think that from this story we should draw some kind of an anti-Christmas celebration doctrine either. Number three, that you shouldn't decorate or prepare your home for Christmas. I don't think that's what it's teaching. So what do we learn from this story? Some lessons from the stressed out hostess and her spellbound sisters. Can we draw four conclusions from our story? Lessons that I think this story does teach us. First of all, and in the context of Christmas, the Christmas season, I think the lesson, one of the lessons that we learn, one of the applications that we make, number one, is that we should make our homes a place where Jesus is welcome. Make our homes a place where Jesus is welcome. In some ways, Martha did an excellent job with that, didn't she? In verse 38, it says that her home was open to Jesus. Does your home and the way you decorate for Christmas speak of the centrality of Christ? Or do you look like all the rest of the neighbors? You know, I'm not saying it's wrong to to put a snowman up and to have a, even a fat old Santa Claus or you know, a reindeer and a sled in neon lights up on the roof. I'm not saying that's a sin, okay? I think it's really, really dumb, but I don't think it's a sin, okay? And really, it doesn't really matter what Pastor Van thinks about what's up on your roof, all right? I'd like to shoot it with my 22, but that's, it doesn't matter, all right? But when people see your home and when people would walk into your home, is the love of Christ there? Is that a home that is characterized as this is where Jesus is? This is where people who love Jesus are? Or are we so caught up in the trappings of the utter nonsense that's going on around us, largely from marketers trying to get your buck, all right, Dollar bills. Some of you hunters all of a sudden woke up. <laughs> Going to tell a deer story. Yeah. 
When you walk in, is your house more about Santa Claus or more about Jesus? Is the music that you're playing about grandma getting run over or whatever, or your two front teeth, or just the utter craziness? And you can't even, you can't even make up stupider stuff than they market at you. It's just, it's beyond crazy. And how that has anything to do with Christmas. It doesn't. That's the whole point. Is your home a place where Jesus is welcome and characterized by his presence? Number two, I think another lesson we can learn from this story and what we learn from our stressed out hostess and her spellbound sister is not only is our home to be a place where Jesus is welcome and enjoyed and where we fellowship with Jesus, but number two... I think a lesson that we get from this is that to enjoy the presence of Christ, you have to sit still. To enjoy the presence of Christ in your home, you have to sit still. If ever there's a time of the year that is designed for action and busyness, it's Christmas, isn't it? I know that we have a diverse audience here and some of you may be very lonely this time of year and you actually have very little to do. You don't have little children laughing and carrying on and trying to peek under the tree and all the things that make Christmas Christmas to us. And your homes may be empty and you really don't have a lot going on. But I suspect that most of us, maybe 80% or more, find the month of December a rather hectic month a time when our calendar gets pretty filled up, a time when we feel a little bit stressed about making the kind of cookies that we want to make and getting the decorations the way we want them to be and getting out to get the sales and managing the whole system. Do you know, if we're going to enjoy Jesus this Christmas, we have to sit still. Don't you see that in Mary? Martha didn't enjoy Jesus in the sense of Connection, worship, fellowship, hearing his word, knowing him. Mary's the one that's there. We have a tradition at our house that um, when I leave to go deer hunting, and ever since for 20 couple years now, we've lived back in West Virginia, I've hunted up in Preston County with my wife's family, her Uh, cousins and the place where her daddy grew up and where he hunted. And so uh, every year that I can remember for 20 couple years, except for the year of our wreck a couple years ago, um, on Sunday afternoon before Thanksgiving, I leave for Preston County and to deer hunt that week of Thanksgiving. And before I leave, I have to go downstairs and get all the boxes of the Christmas stuff and bring it upstairs. Because while I'm gone... Janet's tradition is to decorate the house for Christmas. So by the time I come home on Thanksgiving night, when we're all back together, Thanksgiving Day, and then come home together Thanksgiving night, the house has been transformed, and we're ready for the month of December. If you come in the front door of our home and turn right, it's Janet's music room. It's kind of a formal living room room in the blueprint plan. And we made it Janet's music room. She teaches piano. Her piano's in there, an old antique pump organ. It's a beautiful room. And she has it decorated beautifully all the time. But when I came home this year, I noticed that that room was just spectacularly beautiful. Even Van Marceau could tell it was beautiful. It was just 
stunningly beautiful. And I noticed something else. I noticed that it was a, that room is a calm room. It's a warm room. And that room spoke of the Lord Jesus. She had beautifully displayed the nativity set and other items. That room speaks of the true meaning of Christmas. And it's a beautiful room. Can I tell you something about that room? I never go in that room. I just don't go in that room. You know why I don't go in that room? I don't have time. I thought of another reason I don't go in that room, and I think it's true. Number two has a part B to it. Number two is to enjoy the presence of Christ, you have to sit still. Two B is to enjoy the presence of Christ, you have to shut off the TV. Another reason I don't go in that room is because the TV's not in that room. If you are going to enjoy the presence of Christ, you have got to find still time. You have got to find downtime, TV time. That room that my wife has created in our home is a perfect room for worship. It is quiet. No one's allowed to play in there. We don't live in there. The lighting is beautiful and dim, and it's beautiful. And this year I thought to myself, I need to find quiet time to go in there and worship the Lord in my home. Do you have places like that? What kind of music are you listening to? Do you have sacred music that is scripture-based, that is about the stories of Christmas, that will renew your heart and refresh your mind and encourage you? that is conducive to worship? Have you ever taken your Bible during the Christmas season even multiple times to sit still and be quiet, maybe when everybody else is gone or in bed, and turn to Luke 1 and 2, turn to Matthew 1, and just read the story and let the Spirit of God speak to you? I already know the story. I know you know the story. You also know that movie about whatever street that is, and you watch it every year. Let the Word of God speak to you. Listen to our Lord Jesus through His Word. That's what Mary did, isn't it? She sat down in the house, was quiet, quit the preparations, quit the anxiety, and said, Lord, speak to me. For many of us, in fact, I was going to say, I bet, but I'm kind of upset about the betting system around here right now, and I won't say that. I want to say something about that right now, but I probably shouldn't. Let me just say this much. There's 51,000 people that live in Jefferson County and 6,000 people voted in the crazy table games. 4,000 people only showed up to vote no. What's wrong with us? Okay, I said it. Move on. I would bet, I would guess that most of us people, most of us, have absolutely no plan to worship Jesus in our home this year. We're going to come to the Christmas Eve service if our schedule permits it. You've planned your gift buying. You've planned where you're going to buy your gifts. You've worked hard on all of that to to save money. You know who you're buying gifts for. You're worried about getting your cards out. You've looked through last year's cards to figure out who sent you cards so that you send them a card. You've done all kinds of things and you've got it all worked up. You even got your happy Jake lights all over the front porch. Where's Jesus in the equation? You understand what I'm saying? 
See, we are so pressed into the culture, aren't we? We are so pressed into the whole dynamic of the world, it becomes ridiculous. You have to become countercultural to worship Jesus at Christmas. Do you know that? And please don't say happy holidays. Say Merry Christmas, God bless you. And say Jesus' name every chance you get. All right? Just irritate him. Just do it. <laughs> you have to have a home where Jesus is welcome. You need to, to enjoy the presence of Christ. You have to sit still. To enjoy the presence of Christ, part B, you have to shut off the TV. Number three, it is possible to be so distracted with Christmas that we miss special moments with Jesus. That's pretty much what I've been talking about, isn't it? Number three, it is so possible to be so distracted with Christmas that you miss special moments with Jesus himself. Just like Martha. Lesser things drain us, don't they? And Jesus looked at Martha and that's what he said. Martha, Mary has done what is most important. Number four, I learned from this story that I know I'm not focused on Jesus when I'm critical of the people around me. I know that I'm not focused on Jesus when I'm critical of the people around me. Mary was consumed with Jesus, wasn't she? Martha was consumed with Mary. Oh, man, Mary was firing her up. Ho, ho, ho. All the work. And you want to know something else? When it comes time to clean up, guess who will do all the cleanup? Mary missed the whole thing. Mary missed the whole thing. She wanted to worship Jesus. It's interesting that later, right before he goes to the cross, there's another story. You'll find it in John chapter 12, right after the John 11 resurrection passage. Jesus goes back to Bethany. You know what it says in that? It says that Jesus came to eat a meal at their home. And guess who served? Martha. Martha served. Guess what Mary did? Guess what Mary did? That's where she took the spikenard. That's where she took the perfume worth a year's wages. And she broke it on her Lord Jesus. And she pulled out her hairpin and she dropped her hair and she wiped his feet as the perfume ran down his feet and ankles and wiped off her Lord's feet with her hair. And remember, Judas was there. You could have sold that perfume for a year's wages and given it to the poor. What did Jesus say? The poor you'll always have with you. I won't be here forever. Mary got something right, didn't she? She offended her sister a lot. But you know, the Marthas among us, we've got to really fight it, don't we? that we get our eyes off of all the lesser things and get our eyes off of the people around us that are bugging us because they're not working or they're not doing things or this one, I just know that he's not going to buy me a good gift. He never gets it. Oh, that. Who cares? Who cares? When you get filled up with Jesus... And you're like Mary, and it's a Mary kind of a Christmas. Forget the other nonsense. Can we fight for this cause? Can we get to a place where we live what we talk? Change cannot occur without change. Do you know that? 
You can't go from here and just do the same things that you do every year to get all busy and overwhelmed if you're going to be still and invite Jesus into your home this Christmas. Well, some of you will have a Merry Christmas. Others, we need to say, have a Martha Christmas. There's a blue light special down the road. Have a Martha Christmas. You know, we need to be careful in this line too, what we're teaching our children, don't we? Is Jesus, is Jesus the centerpiece of our home this Christmas? Let's bow in prayer. Well, Father, we admit that um, though we mean well and our intentions are good, that we often lose perspective and live conflicted lives, wanting to love Jesus, wanting to worship, wanting to spend time with him, and then letting lesser things squish it out of us. Please forgive us. Reignite in us, Lord, a passion, a desire to know Jesus and the power of his resurrection. That we would find quiet places conducive to worship and focus on Jesus, pushing away the noise and the nonsense of the world. Father, for hearts here today that are empty, broken, and hurting, would you heal them and encourage them Fill them with your presence and your love this Christmas. For other hearts that are dark with sin and they're not born again and they don't know that King Jesus died on the cross for them, may they admit their sinfulness and believe in this precious Jesus and be born again, transformed and brought into newness of life. Father, where we need to apply this message, help us through the ministry of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.